are entering the Freedom Hut. The left is rallying behind Ilhan Omar despite her tendency to say things that are anti-Semitic and also to downplay 9-11. What is really at work here? Plus, the Cathedral of Notre Dame is still burning. We'll give you updates on this breaking news story. And what is the president's plan for sanctuary cities and illegal immigrants going to turn into? We've got that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton this Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Pierre was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. So you have no idea right, right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> some people did something? Oh my goodness. There is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Some people did something? It just flew straight into it. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show. That audio was from what President Trump retweeted over the weekend and has now caused such a fiery back and forth between the left and the right, between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, That was the voice of Ilhan Omar saying that when it comes to 9-11, some people did something. And then going on to talk about how the, the real victims, the real people that we should have been really worried about were those who were concerned for their civil liberties in the Islamic community after 9-11. Skipping past the nearly 3,000 people who were murdered, many of them crushed, incinerated, uh, murdered on 9-11 by jihadist fanatics trying to bring about a war that would destroy our civilization. It's quite a thing to move past that as though it wasn't anything worthy of note, but a sitting member of Congress speaking about 9-11 dismissed it. It's Some people did something. Something, huh? Now, look, I, I'm one that likes to give second chances. Uh, I, I misspeak sometimes. People misspeak on things. But she doesn't claim that she misspoke. The claim here is not that Representative Ilhan Omar um, meant to say something very different or or just got tired and caught up in the moment. And, you know, that that was not the claim. The claim is that it is racist, you see, racist to call her out for this. It is Islamophobic to call her out for this. And with this, we see a time-tested and favorite tactic of the left. Don't engage on the substance. Don't engage on the intellectual uh, merits. Slime the other side. Smear them. Lie about them. Assassinate their characters. Take issue with who they are as people. Suggest that they're bad human beings for thinking what they do, for disagreeing with you. This is 
a preview of what you're going to see heading into the 2020 election from Democrats as a primary motive attack against Trump. This is not going to be something that just kind of comes up sometimes. This is going to be one of the one of the main ways that they try to undermine this president. But I don't want to just move too far into the the, the tactic here and and pull apart why this is so important for the left. Uh, they they need to uh, pause on that for one second. Ilhan Omar is favorably disposed toward CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, uh, which is an unindicted co-conspirator with different terrorist groups, has a history of terror apology in this country, and shows up, as as I have seen firsthand, because I've had to occasionally be on panels or in debates where CARE shows up, uh, to claim that the, the real concern when there are dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of dead bodies in the ground of people who are the victims of terrorism. The real concern is that somebody might ask the wrong question about Islam afterwards. That's what care tends to do. That's the care approach. We, we should really be worried about those who speak ill of the Prophet Muhammad after a massive terror attack. That's where the, the system really breaks down. Don't worry so much about the terror and the dead people and the people whose lives are ruined because their loved ones are never to be seen again because some fanatic screaming Allahu Akbar killed a lot of them. So I, I have no patience, no time for the, uh, the mouthpieces of care. Also, the, that she says care was founded after Ilhan Omar doesn't know anything about care, it seems, or doesn't know very much at all. It says it was founded after 9-11. It was founded in, I think, 1994, but long before 9-11. They, they've been making, they've been running around yelling Islamophobia at people for many years before the 9-11 attacks. But now they're saying that it's it's racist that Trump brought this up or that he would he would magnify this criticism of Ilhan Omar and that that's what this really comes down to. Oh, and they take it a step further too. play clip. Here's just classic CNN Jeffrey Tubin saying that this is all because Trump's a racist. Play three. What do all the people that he's vilifying have in common? They're all people of color. You know, it is all, you know, AOC, uh, Omar. I mean, this is, you know, whether it's the basketball players or the football players. I mean, it's he's always after people of color. And that is not a coincidence. Is Jeffrey Tubin a moron? Or does he just play one on TV? Everyone that Trump goes after is a person of color. How if I said something so stupid on television, I would I would feel embarrassed for a long time to come. Um, oh, I don't know. Is is crooked Hillary a person of color? Because Trump seemed to go after her a lot and still does. Is shifty Adam Schiff a person of color? Because Trump goes after him. And so I mean, I, I don't even want to get into the whole list. Comey, Strzok, Page, Brennan. I mean, all these people that Trump just rightfully annihilates on Twitter and in his public statements. Is is Jim Acosta? Well, okay, yeah, Jim Acosta, I guess technically he's Latino, but there are other people at CNN that he goes after too. Are, are they all people of color? Um, you know, are, are they people that fit into this category? No, of course not. The, the, the president, uh, you know, the, the president is in fact someone who goes after those who go after him. You know, the president is 
a counterpuncher, but to say that he only goes after people of different races or ethnicities is just a lie. It's just not true. Um, you know, I, I can't even I think of all the people that, that are, are white that he makes fun of and mocks on a daily, on a regular basis. I mean, so many. Do, do you think Trump, you know, likes Avenatti? Uh, so, anyway. It's such a stupid comment. But it, this is what gets you applause on CNN. This is what gets you applause on CNN. And, and then they go even further. Um, then they decide that the issue is that uh, Trump is putting her life in jeopardy now. That was what this turned into over the weekend, that that Trump is responsible for incitement to violence. This is an expansion on what you will generally hear from the left, and that is things that they really don't like, words that they really don't like, are tantamount to close to violence. Might as well be violence. Speech equals violence. This has become a tactic of censorship. This Ilhan Omar debate, while in many ways it's just about a, a stupid comment she made and you know it's indefensible and there oh there are some who who defended by the way Jerry Jerry Nadler for example who's going to make a few appearances in this show he defended play clip too did you take any issue with the way Congresswoman Omar characterized 9/11 no I did not she characterized it only in passing she was talking about uh, um, um, discrimination uh, against uh, Muslim Americans. And she, she just said that after that happened, it was used as an excuse uh, for, for lots of discrimination and for withdrawal of civil liberties. No, I did not uh, take that. I, I've had some problems with some of her other remarks, but not, but not with that one. No problem with what she says. You know, 9-11, just like a thing. Speaking about CARE, which is an organization that does a lot of apologizing for the uh, radical tendencies of Islam, there's a debate from... I forget one from back in the day where they had one of their apologists on after the uh, Danish cartoons uh, fiasco where you had a cartoonist in, in Denmark, as you know, have the prophet Muhammad. And, and then there were embassies that were attacked and people there were there was violence that broke out because of what one cartoonist in Denmark did. And there was a guy from Kara. I never forget this as well. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, do things like this. It's an act of intimidation, he would he said to be critical of Islam in this way. It, it, it intimidates people. Oh, that's right. Speech equals violence. The, the words are basically violence, therefore will be violent in response to your words. This is a very dangerous, a very dangerous approach. But the left takes this on, on many issues. You know, they will say that President Trump is inciting violence against Ilhan Omar merely by criticizing what she says and she's you know she's not a uh, a legitimate target for this criticism and and now that we're hearing that she gets death threats and all these lots of people get death threats that doesn't death threats are terrible people should be punished for them but you can't be held we cannot be held responsible for the death threats of of imbeciles because we criticize public figures because censorship the left likes to censor and what you see with the Ilhan Omar situation is all of the different tactics and tools that the left will use. Um, they'll say that the criticism of her is racist. They'll say that criticism of her is leading to death threats. They want to create 
special categories for individuals to be public figures, but they're victims, you see. They have to be treated and talked about differently because they're victims because of their, their ethnicity or their religion or their sexual orientation. Or They're to be treated to a different set of rules in public discourse. Left is trying to do that right now. You're going to see a lot more of this going forward. You're going to see a lot more in the effort to make it impossible to have an open and honest discussion about how crazy some of these leftists are, what they're saying, why it's wrong, because, oh, you said, what about AOC? You must be a racist. You said, what about Ilhan Omar? You must be a racist. How can we have any real discussion about the country if the approach the Democrats are going to have is, well, you can't disagree with certain people on heated and passionate issues of real public consequence that really matter because it must just be that you're you're down-talking to them. You are a part of the patriarchy. Your white privilege is showing. You're not allowed to criticize these individuals because you do so from a, a position of, of white supremacy, they will say. They are trying to destroy legitimate discourse. The differences that we have in policy and in the ideas that we share publicly, they want to control it. They want to control the language, which we talked about last week, and they also want to control who has the right to speak. When are you allowed to disagree? When are you able to stand up and say what that person is saying is wrong? Left says he can't say that, but Ilhan Omar, very defensive about the anti-Semitic Muslim congresswoman from Minnesota. Very defensive. We should start asking questions about why that is and what they think the rules are going to be that the rest of us have to follow when it comes to members of Congress, people in the media, elected officials. If you're in a protected class, you can say any crazy thing you want. No one's allowed to criticize you. Or if there are some people that act poorly in response to the crazy things a Democrat says by threatening them, the rest of us all have, we're all to be held accountable for that. I'm sorry, I won't be lectured to in that way by people that demonized Brett Kavanaugh as a rapist, by people that said the Covington Catholic kids were evil racists, that completely demean people who are Trump supporters. I mean, they lie about people and destroy them and never give it a second thought. We're going to be lectured to by that media about how we should be more careful in our discourse? I'm sorry, I don't think so. Not on my watch. Not on my time. We'll be right back. This is an incitement to violence against Congresswoman Omar, against our fellow Americans who happened to be Muslim. This is part and parcel of what we've seen from an administration that has described Mexican immigrants as rapists and criminals, and man who is called asylum seekers, and he calls them animals and infestation. There you go, incitement to violence from Beto, who's like so upset about this. And why can't Trump like just be nice and like open his heart to Beto's America? So I'm not I'm not getting ahead of the facts here, folks. They they're straight up saying that that the president of the United States 
is calling for violence against a female Muslim minority member of Congress. That's what they're saying. That's, this is the storyline they're going with. And as if that weren't crazy enough, here's a Twitter exchange that you're going to have to just hear to believe. So Dan Crenshaw, who I'm sure many of you know, Texas congressman, and he responded to Ilhan Omar. Now, he's a Texas congressman who also happens to be a uh, combat veteran Navy SEAL who lost an eye to the shrapnel from an IED. And that's why he wears an eye patch. I'm sure all of you know this, but just in case. Crenshaw responded to Ilhan Omar saying some people who did something with, quote, first member of Congress to ever describe terrorists who killed thousands of Americans as some people who did something. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez responded to wounded Purple Heart recipient veteran Dan Crenshaw with the following. You refuse to co-sponsor the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund yet have the audacity to drum resentment toward Ilhan with completely out-of-context quotes. Folks, AOC, 29-year-old former bartender AOC, left-wing radical imbecile, is publicly calling out Dan Crenshaw, decorated Navy SEAL combat veteran, lost an eye to an IED fighting the Taliban for not doing enough to fight terrorism. This is the modern left. There are, there are no limits to the stupidity, no outer boundaries to the dishonesty. They are completely unself-aware about where they really stand in the grand scheme of things and in the universe of counterterrorism fighting for Ocasio-Cortez to publicly lecture Dan Crenshaw. This is kind of a, a, a perfect metaphor for how Democrats and Republicans interact on this issue these days. You know, no, no respect, no deference, no nothing for somebody who has put so much more on the line, knows so much more about the issue, and has real, real credibility and gravitas on this. A little, little imbecile AOC is going to call out Dan Crenshaw? You know, AOC, you know, you might want to pick up an M4 and head to Afghanistan or Iraq and actually get some street cred before you start lecturing Dan Crenshaw on terrorism and 9-11 victims, folks. He would be forthcoming only if he releases the entire report and the underlying evidence uh, to the Judiciary Committee, which has been done in every previous uh, instance where they were looking into presidential or other misconduct. Uh, that would be, now the Judiciary Committee is the proper locus of, for deciding what has to be uh, withheld from the public uh, again, that's what's been done in, in the past. To deny the Judiciary Committee and the Congress uh, the knowledge of what's in parts of the Mueller report is, is not proper. And, of course, uh, the Attorney General, when he started talking uh, completely without evidence, as he said, about spying on the, uh, on the Trump campaign, uh, when, he, when what he meant was executing judicially ordered uh, warrants, uh, showed his, uh, his bias in the fact that he's really acting uh, as, as a personal agent of the president rather than as the attorney general of the United States in this matter. Everything this guy Nadler says is not true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost amazing. You almost stand back with a degree of wow on your face when this guy talks. Wow. Congressman Nadler just trying so hard to rewrite the script here. Make it seem like, oh, that's right, Barr is such a bad guy, you can't trust him. And I, Who believes this nonsense? Oh, unfortunately, Democrats do. 
Spying is spying, folks. I worked for a spying agency for years. I spent my 20s as a spy agency employee. And let me tell you something. National security letters and FISA warrants and phone taps and email capture and that is spying. If someone came in from China and said, I'm not spying, I'm just secretly listening to the communications of senior government officials or people tied to the Trump campaign and reading their emails, you'd say, oh, that's a spy. You, you wouldn't say, oh, well, that was ordered by the government of China, therefore it's not. No, that's spying. Spying is the clandestine or surreptitious surveillance or acquiring of information. That's all it is. That's the definition. So, yes, they were spying on the Trump campaign. That they, that they still want to fight this fight just shows how delusional the Democrats are. Uh, and they're also desperate to try and set up a narrative that is favorable to them in advance of the release, which we have been told today, the Mueller report drops Thursday. The Mueller report will be out Thursday, I believe Thursday morning. I will have to speed read that thing uh, like nobody's business because it's my business to speed read it. And hopefully by the time I get on air at six o'clock, I will have read through, if not all of it, a vast majority of it. I think it's 400 pages with maybe 100 redacted is what I heard today. So 300 pages. I could get through I get through 300 pages by showtime. That's, that'll be my plan. So I'll read the whole report Thursday when I come on air. Because you know the Democrats are going to, oh my gosh, you know, there's, look at all the obstruction. That's what's going to, that's what's going to happen here. Um, uh, they're going to say that there was plenty of grounds for obstruction, but the president got bailed out because, you know, that's what happened. Republicans are the ones who get bailed out, not Democrats. Sure, buddy. Sure. Stay on that one. Uh, Nadler was on one of the boring CNN shows, but this is what he said about obstruction. Play 11. Attorney General Bill Barr, he did reach a conclusion. He says there is not sufficient evidence to establish that the president obstructed justice. Does that end the debate over obstruction of justice? Well, certainly not, especially since Attorney General uh, um, Barr, before he became Attorney General, wrote a long memo in which he said that a president could not uh, uh, obstruct justice because the president is the boss of the Justice Department and could order it around to, 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 to institute an investigation, to eliminate an investigation, and could not be questioned about that. In other words, he thinks that as a matter of law, a president can't obstruct justice, which is a very wild and uh, uh, theory uh, to which most people do not uh, uh, do not agree. Um, and the fact of the matter is, we, we should see and judge for ourselves, and that's for Congress to judge whether the president obstructed justice or not, and for the public ultimately. It's um, not. It's not the bailiwick of the attorney general to no, decide it is that. No, not the. No, it is not the bailiwick of the attorney general. Again, everything Nadler says is wrong. This guy just goes on TV, just says wrong things. Wrong, 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 wrong. It is an avalanche of wrong from, from Congressman Nadler every time he opens his mouth on television these days. Uh, let's just start with this. His whole, oh, Barr thinks that you can't be guilty of obstruction. Uh, Mueller didn't, didn't want obstruction charges either, Chief. So where does that leave you? Is Mueller in on this too? Oh, oh! don't think the Democrats are past that. Don't think that that's off the table. 
Mueller must Mueller must have played golf once at a Trump resort and and somebody there made a made a play for cultivating Mueller as a deep a deep 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 secret asset to only be deployed you know 20 years in the future when Trump would need it. I mean people are crazy crazy about this stuff Mueller said no obstruction because there was no obstruction Mueller said no charges because they couldn't charge him do you really think for one second that Mueller would have skipped the opportunity to look like a hero to the 50% of the country that absolutely hates Donald Trump with a burning passion? Um, th- think of how many zeros would be added to Mueller's memoir if only he had just, he doesn't have to even win the case, just bring the charges against, just say that the president has to be charged. But they, they always leave this out. They hope that people are not paying close enough attention to know what's really true here. Uh, so Mueller's a part of this, and then is is just you know for, for him to claim that the attorney general isn't the one who makes this determination. It's like he he doesn't care what you know he just doesn't care what the truth is. He just doesn't. It doesn't matter to him that it is obviously the case that this this false attorney general. I would also note, folks, who bailed out Hillary. For, for clearly violating the law. I mean, she, you know, Hillary was the equivalent of like, she had a giant bag of weed and they found her and she's on video and she's like, yeah, I got a giant bag of weed. Like, and then they just made it go away. I mean, Hillary's charges were the Jussie Smollett of Espionage Act charges, as in it could not be more on, I mean, the hoax part of it. It could not be more obvious what happened. Why didn't Hillary get charged? Oh, because the justice system worked. No, because... The attorney general and James Comey and Loretta Lynch, they made up an excuse for her. They didn't say she didn't do it. They just said they're not going to charge her because she didn't mean it. That was what the that was what the excuse was. She didn't mean it. Let's not be mean to her. I'm nice, she says. It's an entirely different situation with Trump and Mueller. We know that Trump wasn't getting the benefit of the doubt. Look at what they did to the people around Trump that they could charge. But no matter what comes out of this report on Thursday, the Democrats are going to claim that there's obstruction because the the machinery of of propaganda is already in motion. And what they're going to say is, see, the president of the United States committed obstruction. We need to now consider impeachment charges. We need to consider how we punish the president for this terrible transgression, and then they want to drag that out. You're going to hear about obstruction and obstruction and obstruction for the next nine months on an endless loop from Democrats. They're never going to let it drop until they think it is no longer useful for them. Even if you and I know that they're crazy, by the way, this is what the the people that read, you know, the Slate.com, the New York Times editorial page, watch CNN, they're going to love all this obstruction talk. They can't get enough of it. It's going to be like catnip for them. Scooby snacks, except obstruction. Scooby? Wow, I need to work on my... That was a terrible Scooby. Scooby? Nope. Still bad. My Scooby is not good, guys. Got a code red myself. We're going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back. The fire that they're having at the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, is something like few people have witnessed. Uh, when we left, we had a whole group of your great representatives. And when we left uh, the plane, uh, it was it was uh, burning at a level that you rarely see a fire burn. It's one of the uh, great treasures of the world. 
uh, the greatest artists in the world. Probably, if you think about it, I would say, Jovita, it might be greater than almost any museum in the world, and it's burning very badly. It looks like it's burning to the ground. But it's a terrible sight to behold. Horrific today, watching the Cathedral of Notre Dame in, in Paris just in a blaze. It was hard to believe at first. I, I saw the initial screenshots of it on social media, and I thought, this is, some, this is some really bad, sick joke that someone is spreading this. Uh, maybe it's fake news. You know, you just don't want to believe it at first. Sure enough, the tallest single part, the, the main, um, uh, the, the highest of all the, the peaks of Notre Dame Cathedral uh, came down, the highest tower. And it, people watched it as it was all in flames. And this is a, it, it was, for me, I had to turn it off. I, I couldn't keep watching it. It felt like watching a surveillance video of somebody walking around the Louvre with a sledgehammer, you know, just, just smashing Michelangelo and Da Vinci and Monet and, you know, just, just walking around the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City with a razor blade and just taking it to all the great Renaissance works. I mean, it was just horrible. Um, you know, I've been to Notre Dame Cathedral at least three or four times. And it is one of the most beautiful uh, single structures in the world, in my opinion. And there's so much history. It stretches back to the 12th century. It has been standing in the city of Paris through plagues and through pestilence and through uh, war. And, you know, as many were pointing out today, even survived the Nazis, but one... One spark, one flame. We don't know yet exactly what happened here. I know producer Mike is is a little, he's suspicious of at least foul play. I think we could say that, Mike. I'm, I'm withholding judgment. Uh, so far, the reporting that, look, I'm not there. Uh, I'm not on the scene. I can't ask anybody any specific questions about it. The reporting that I'm seeing is saying that they, they believe that this was some kind of a terrible accident. We'll see. We'll find. We'll find out more. All right, Mike, you're a little suspicious. Fair to say, yeah. Mike, Mike is is suspicious of what's going on here. I'm, I am, I'm waiting on this one. I don't see any. I don't see any evidence to point to, other than just saying, you know, I'm going with my gut on what could have happened here. Uh, but it's it's terrible, and it's it. Look, it's a reminder that ev- nothing is permanent. It, it's actually a line from. Uh, from Game of Thrones, which I did watch over this weekend with the new season. And, uh, you know, there, there's a line where he says, you know, everything, essentially everything fades. I forget exactly how he said it, but that's the young people keep their distance from old people because old people remind them that nothing is permanent. Even the Cathedral of Notre Dame, which has been around for, you know, going on a millennium. Nothing is permanent. Now they were able to save the outer structure, I believe. It's not; com- it has not completely uh, burned down. So there's some, uh, you know, the, the main structure has been saved. Uh, but it's people think when you think of Paris, I mean, the, the two 
the two physical structures that come to mind are, at least for me, and I think for most people, uh, Notre Dame and the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower is very visible, but it's nowhere near, I think, the same. First of all, nowhere near the, the historical significance of Notre Dame, but also nowhere near the spiritual significance. Uh, even if you are not a believer, even if you're not a, a Roman Catholic or a Christian of any kind, Notre Dame was a manifestation of physical beauty on earth that was awe-inspiring. And in that sense, it was pointing to the divine, whatever the divine means for the individual in this case. There was something awe-inspiring about it. Uh, it was a, a tremendous... Uh, you know, a tremendous monument to what human beings were capable of in the 12th century. Uh, and then when you add, in, add into it all the, the spirituality and the role that cathedrals like Notre Dame played in Western civilization and in the, the spread and growth of the best parts of Western civilization, the, those that we would like to see replicated by the rest of the world, including the not-West uh, I think it is. It was a hard day for a lot of people. It really was uh, uh, like like a dear a dear friend to the whole world was consumed with flames and just for for no reason uh, for no reason at least no reason that we know of right now. You had people watching this in real time. A lot of uh, social media has posts up about this. It, it, there, there is. I would be remiss if I didn't say that that Notre Dame has featured in um, attacks that were planned, at least uh, in by by different ISIS groups. I mean, Notre Dame is a very, very visible symbol of not just Paris and France, but of Christianity in the West. And so, there have been failed attacks. There have been aborted attacks. There have been disrupted plots. Uh, stretching back for uh, for many years. I don't have any evidence right now of any of that. Um, if I did, I would, you know, I would uh, not be shy about making that uh, making that analytic determination. But I think right now we have to assume that the reports we're seeing so far are accurate, and the reports are that there was uh, construction ongoing, and I, I do believe I saw that there weren't any. Construction workers during this blaze, but it might have been elect, you know, electronic, uh, electric equipment left behind. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a fire expert either, so this is not something that I usually can bring more than a, a lay person's interpretation of. Uh, people were crying, though. I mean, this really, this really affected them. Uh, there's something that is is very uh, magical and memorable about Notre Dame, and and, and I've. Uh, I've, as I said, I've been there, and it's one of those things that you always you always remember the first time you see it. You always remember the first day that uh, you are in its presence. It, it feels almost like a living being that you are visiting. Uh, I'm glad that they were able to save some of it from total destruction, but it's a sad day. A sad day for the West, and to start off Holy Week this way also has a lot of people uh, feeling ill at ease. As long as Democrats continue 
to ignore the crisis at the border, then we have to look at all options across the table so that the towns right there on the border aren't taking on the entire burden and that we're shifting some of that burden uh, to places who constantly claim uh, to want to have open borders and want to have an open city. Nobody thinks that this is the ideal solution, uh, but until we can fix the crisis at the border, we have to look at all options. This is one of them. Whether or not it moves forward, uh, that's yet to be determined. I thought that Democrats in sanctuary cities couldn't get enough illegal aliens. I thought that illegal aliens were the the foundation of America, according to the left, right? This, this is what we've been told for a long time now. They're, they do the jobs Americans won't do. They commit fewer crimes than Americans. They're, they're better than Americans. I mean, this has become a mantra on the left. This has become a very oft-repeated claim. And you, you hear it from all over the place that, that Democrats really must believe this because they say it all the time. And yet here we are looking at the issue of sanctuary cities and the, and the possibility of transferring people to sanctuary cities who have just arrived at the border. And lo and behold, what a shock. The illegal aliens getting dropped off in Los in downtown Los Angeles by by the busload is not something that Democrats are excited about. Well, well, why is that? Now, I would make the argument, and I have. I think this is surprising people. I think illegals would like it, meaning that I, I think that for a lot of them to be brought to it, because otherwise, you know, if the government doesn't move them somewhere, and the government's not going to be a a a door to door ferrying service for these people. Right. So it's not if you have relatives in Peoria, I, I don't think that the federal government's going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to just put you on a plane and take you there. Or, you know, here you go. We're, we're going to drive you ourselves to Peoria, Illinois. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but to be dropped off in a major city for a lot of them, that's probably going to be a good thing. And if it's not a good thing, the only reason would be that they have family in this country already and that they're scamming the system. Right. I mean, if they're true refugees, you would think that this wasn't about trying to link up with people in this country that they already know who are here. They're not true refugees, though. So we I, it's not clear how many I don't, I don't think they even track this, how many of them have a, an internal sponsor ready to go for them when they arrive. I would guess a lot of them do. But for those that don't, yeah, you probably do want to get dropped off in Los Angeles or San Francisco or you know, places that are close to the border like that, that are sanctuary cities. Why doesn't Los Angeles get excited about this prospect, though? I saw Cher. What, what was it that Cher over the weekend tweeted? I got, I got to find this real quick because this was, this was kind of a, a wow, a wow moment. Because uh, the president, President Trump, um, r- responded to to this. Um, Cher said something about sanctuary cities that got ret- retweeted, um, and people were very uh, by the president of the United States. Here you go. Uh, what was that? What was the tweet, Mike, that she said? Okay, here you go. This is Cher. They're singing, do you, do you believe in life after love? That is not a good Cher impersonation, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's kind of, an, I'm, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Yeah, yeah. Make fun of me all you want. Yeah, I know. I deserve that. <laughs> it sounds I sound a little bit like uh, like somebody from the Muppets. Do you believe in life after love? Uh, 
but Cher tweeted out, I understand helping struggling immigrants, but my city, Los Angeles, isn't taking care of its own. What about the 50,000 plus citizens who live on the streets, people who live below the poverty line and are hungry? If my state can't take care of its own, many are vets, how can it take care of more? Hold on, uh, hold the phone, hold on a second here. Whoa, 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 nice shooting, Cher. What do you mean that we could have a conversation about taking care of those already in this country that are poor and needy before bringing an additional million poor and needy people into the country who are coming in illegally and aren't Americans in, in any way, shape, or form? Is that, I mean... Is that a conversation we could at least have? Whoa, that's so racist, right? That's what they'll say. That's what the left will say. But because of the backlash to this, it should it should surprise no one that share uh, because the president President Trump retweeted her, and now she's walking it she's walking it back. Um, those who can must take. Oh no, I'm sorry. This is a pardon me. She she changed her mind from a September 2017 tweet. So she's actually shifted toward Trump, not away from Trump. Pardon me. And here's what she said in 2017. Those who can must take a dreamer into their home and protect them. I'm ready to do this and others in my business will do the same. Sanctuary. Sanctuary, she says. Um, but share the singer of share fame uh see she uh all of a sudden has a different different approach to this recognizes that oh that's right maybe adding to the roles of those who need government assistance when we already have quite a poverty problem in los angeles right now if you spend any time there uh last time i was there i saw it tent cities and people living in tents all over the streets it's unsanitary, it's dangerous, it is a, a blight for the communities that have to deal with this. I mean, you should not have people living on the streets in cities made up of, uh, of tents and, you know, and, and cardboard, but that's what you have in some parts. of. And these are people that are, in some cases, choosing, choosing to be homeless, choosing to live a life on the streets. It's not just uh, people that are down on their luck. There is this... Uh, decision to be a vagrant that is a, a more and more a thing i'm not saying it's a majority of them but it, there are people that are choosing a life of of vagrancy um then there was all this challenge back to the sanctuary cities and the transferring of them there was this whole challenge about whether or not this is legal and i just i like that tom homan who was the former acting ice director Every time I see him in Fox News in the green room, he's like, Buck, I loved your hit. I'm like, Tom, that's so funny because I loved your hit right before. We see this issue very eye to eye, uh, probably because we both have. I mean, he, he knows a tremendous amount of this issue because he's been handling it for decades. But uh, we've been doing our deep dives into this. And here's what Tom said about the challenges to the legality of this whole situation. People are saying, oh, no, you can't do that. It would be illegal. Well, Play clip eight. I don't understand what they're talking about legalities because we already moved people. When I was the ICE director, we moved people all over the country. ICE moves 
aliens all over the country, different facilities in all 50 states. And I tell you something, uh, we're all, right now we're moving you know, unaccompanied alien children at government expense. First they're moved to an HHS facility, and once they find a parent sponsor, at government expense they're moved from the HHS facility to reunite with a parent or sponsor have to deal with the consequences of their failures and their resistance to this administration. Congress has failed on this issue. The reason there's caravans at the border to begin with is because Congress hasn't fixed the loopholes in the law. Nancy Pelosi, Governor Newsom, two people who've been pushing for open borders in California is such a welcoming state. I would think they'd applaud this effort. He's saying they move people all over the time, all over the country already. Spending a lot of money doing it too. Why are the Democrats opposed to this? Notice there's a trend among the left, among the Democrats, that they say they're in favor of things until all of a sudden you're going to give it to them. And unless they can get out of it, unless it doesn't apply to them, oh, well, then they've got, then they got a problem. Then they've got a problem. They don't want to live under the rules they want to make us live under. They don't want to pay the taxes they, they want you to pay. They don't want to have their schools overrun with, you know, English as a second language instruction and, you know, recently arrived illegals who if they are from war-torn countries or countries with tremendous poverty and problems are going to need additional school resources. Just the, just a fact. You know, the problems of, of, of crime and lawlessness that come to communities where there's, and you might say, well, Buck, but the, the overall numbers, I, I want no MS-13 gangsters in this country. I want none. And I know that there are some who are born here and are from here, but I don't want any additional ones. This is why you have screening processes. This is why immigration is a process, a system. If what the left believes about immigration now is true, someone has to explain to me why we should have an immigration system at all. If whoever shows up at our border is worthy and a good person and should be an American which is a whole other step, right? We should be brought into the American family. If anyone who shows up at our border falls into that category, then why have an immigration system at all? Why not just have, you know, why not have an open border? Left has no answer for this. They just have accusations and taunts. Tell you you're racist. They tell you you're a bad person. uh, And if you try to engage them on this issue, you just hear talking points, talking points, and then outrage. Because intellectually, their position is just untenable. It makes no sense. It is self-contradictory. And they don't want to accept that they're open borders, but they are. Bring the illegal, really you call them the illegals. I call them the illegals. They came across the border illegally. We'll bring them to sanctuary city areas and uh, let that particular area take care of it, whether it's a state or whatever it might be. California certainly is always saying, oh, we want more people. And they want more people in their sanctuary cities. Well, we'll give them more people. We can give them a lot. We can give them an unlimited supply. And let's see if they're so happy. They say we have open arms. They're always saying they have open arms. Let's see if they have open arms. And President Trump has managed to troll the Democrats into refuting what you would think is a mainstream position for them, which is that just the more the more sanctuary city uh, immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants you can gather one place, the better. They should they should absolutely be in favor of this, but they're not. In, in fact, they are, are claiming, as I just mentioned before the break, that the issue here is one of of legality that, that the president can't do. It would be illegal for him to do this. Uh, play clip nine. This is Jerry Nadler, whose legal analysis is terrible. But this is what he said. The president uh, 
has no right to spend money uh, appropriated for, by Congress for other purposes to ship uh, immigrants all over the country, nor is it right for the president uh, to use uh, immigrants or, or people who are claiming political asylum as pawns in, in, in a fight against political opponents. Why, is, why are they being used as pawns? Why aren't they a gift from Trump directly to these sanctuary cities? What, what would be wrong with this? Why are Democrats never get to why they oppose it? What's the problem? Why would this scare people, right? Democrats are very convinced that there's no downside from any of this. So it should be fine. It should be great. And as for no right to ship immigrants around the country, this, as we mentioned before with Tom Homan, this happens constantly. They're shipping immigrants all over the country. Uh, this is what, what you know, immigration custom enforcement has to do. They're, they're spending all this money reuniting kids with their parents is what they say. What, what it really is, is parents that came here illegally in many cases are now in a position where if their kid shows up at the border, the kid gets essentially a taxpayer funded ferry service to take him or her to the illegal parent anywhere in the country. Got to reunite them with the family. No questions asked about that. It's uh, it's astonishing. It really is. Uh, they have n no real response to any of this from the left other than the usual stuff about how it's, you know, we're so racist, we're so terrible. Um, you know, they, they, people take the Bernie Sanders approach, uh, which is just to trash the president. You know, if he's all these things that they say he is, why can't they make better arguments about why Trump is wrong? Why did it always devolve into this name calling? You know, I, I have had so many disagreements with Democrats. I mean, I have disagreements with Democrats every day. It's what I do. But I'm not always just running around saying how they're a bunch of bigots and racists and, and this and that. I mean, their policies are crazy, so I call them crazy. But, you know, here's a, a taste of how Bernie responds to the president, how he refers to the president. I still think Bernie's going to be the Democrat nominee. Play four. I can understand why people voted for Trump. I got that. But the sad truth is... And I'm not the first person to say this. We have a president who is a pathological liar. Lawyer. And he lies almost every day. I mean, I think the media has documented thousands of lies that he has told, and he lied during the campaign. And he's lawless. That's right. And he's a racist. And a sexist. And a homophobe. A racist. A sexist, a homophobe, all of these things. Such a focus on the name calling. Why not a focus on the policies? Here, here's why. Uh, Bernie Sanders said it's understandable why people voted for Trump. Here's one reason why they voted for Trump. Because they know that the federal government overall, both parties and the media, have been lying to them about immigration for, for years, if not decades. Just lying about it. It's always, it's always, you know, illegal immigration specifically. It's always a good thing. It's great. We need more of it. No problem. We got it under control. We're deporting a lot of people. All this is nonsense. There are 11 million illegals in the country. No, no, no serious person believes this. So, oh, Buck, but the number. I said, do you, you, do you think that survey data, voluntary survey data is sufficient to tell you how many people are hiding in this country illegally? They're not really hiding, but living in the country illegally? I think that there's a chance, and it depends on how the base really feels about Trump, that he sails to re-election in part because 
The Democrats are so deeply unserious on the issue of immigration. And the crisis at the border is so clearly something that they are in favor of, that they advocate for, uh, that the American people, at least those who aren't completely ideologically aligned with the far left uh, and with the left-wing aims of the Democrats, that the American people are just going to say, I I can't do this. You know, if, if they're not going to secure the border, we can't put them in power. We can't put Democrats in charge. Even if Trump is imperfect on the issue, at least he's saying the right things. At least he's trying to do something. What Democrats are trying to do is continue the crisis, make things worse. And that, for me, could be a, a deciding factor, I think, uh, in, in Trump's reelection. I mean, I, not just for me, but I mean that in my analysis of this could be why Trump wins. If the economy is strong and the Democrats just continue this posture of being de facto open borders, I don't see how you could have a Democrat defeat the president in the next election cycle. I just don't see it. We get a, a, a massive recession, I keep saying. That's going to be, that's the game changer. Remember, that happened. People forget that Obama got very lucky. You had eight years of a Republican president and then a huge recession. And, and one that was really uh, felt at the time like it could be catastrophic financially and economically. And Obama came in with his hope and change and all this stuff. And as a result, we had the worst recovery from a, a recession since the Great Depression. As much as Democrats want to pretend that the stimulus was some great savior of, of, uh, of the country, it's just... Obama was not a good steward of the recovery, nor was he a good steward of the economy overall. But he did get lucky from an election perspective. The Republicans have been in power, and then all of a sudden things look pretty bad, and people decided they wanted something new. If that happens, Bernie Sanders saying you're going to get free this and free that, free college, free health care, free cookie, show up at a show up at a rally, get a free cookie, uh, then you'll probably be able to he'll probably be able to win. And that's my real concern. I don't think Congress, particularly not this group of congressmen and women, are smart enough to look through the thousands of pages that I would assume that President Trump's taxes will be. My guess is most of them don't do their own taxes, and I certainly don't trust them to look through the decades of success that the president has and determine anything. Democrats still fired up over President Trump's taxes, but it's leading nowhere, folks. That's that's a pretty confident prediction from yours truly. But I care about our taxes, as in I had to go and stand in line today and deal with the post office to make sure that Uncle Sam is getting enough of my stuff. And I just find it uh, very, very frustrating that here we are uh, paying all the taxes we do. But the tax cut happened. There's some other stuff. Taxes, taxes. Who we turn to for insight on this matter? Matty Dupler a.k.a. doubles, to me at least. She is with us now. She is the president of Forward Strategies and a tax wonk, uh, wonk extraordinaire. Uh, Maddie, great to have you back. Hey, Buck. So you're down to the wire, huh? One of those people who filed at the last minute? I, well, you know, I filed for an extension, but I still had to write a big, fat check. So what, what, should, we, what should we think about where we are right now, Maddie? I mean, the, the president's tax cut... He talks about it a lot. GOP's all excited about it. But I, I, look, I'll, I'll put aside for a moment that we didn't elect Trump just to cut taxes. I mean, that's one of many things we wanted him to do. 
But how good a tax cut was this really? Because it feels like I'm still giving the money, uh, way too much money to the government. You're still giving way too much money to the government, no doubt about it, Buck. But this was the first time that we have had wholesale tax reform in a generation. 31 years it took to reform the tax code, and Trump, President Trump was the one who was able to do it. So you have to give him credit there. Now, over the last 18 months since the debate on tax reform started, there has been so much misinformation out there that it's pretty much borderline criminal how much the establishment press got it wrong on the tax cut. You saw it today in the front pages of the New York Times talking about how there was a lot of misleading uh, data out there. But in reality, the majority of Americans received a tax cut. And since today is the first time Americans are filing their taxes under the new code, they need to understand that after months of being lied to, four out of five taxpayers in the United States got a tax cut as a result of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And you hear a lot, especially now that we're going into another presidential cycle about Americans paying their fair share. We need more taxes on rich people. Well, what the Tax Cut and Jobs Act did was it actually increased the share, the burden on the higher income earners in this country. It increased the progressivity in the tax code. And even though those high income earners still got a tax cut, the people who are benefiting the most are those who are in the middle income brackets because they were the ones who got the largest share of their after tax income increase thanks to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. If you make $50,000 a year in this country, roughly speaking, now I know there's deductions and blah, 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 and all that, but mm-hmm. roughly roughly speaking, how much more cash do you have in your pocket for the year this past year, 2018, because of Trump's tax cut? So, Beck, the typical American family of four is making about seventy-two grand a year in this country, and they Whoa. are over two thousand. Yeah, they are making over. They are over two thousand dollars richer as a result of the tax cut and jobs act. And that's not just because their tax rate was reduced, which is true for income earners across the scale. It's also because they doubled the child tax credit and the eligibility for the child tax credit was expanded. So not only do you have a bigger child tax credit, you might be eligible for it when you weren't able to cash in on it before. Um, The AMT, the alternative minimum tax, which is essentially a double tax structure where most tax filers had to do their taxes twice and then pay the highest uh, number of their taxes, that was diminished a little bit. Five million people fell out of the AMT, uh, and as a result, they now have more tax credits and deductions that they can take. Um, other parts of the tax code that you don't hear a lot about but are extremely important, expansion of 529 savings accounts. This allows families to use tax-free savings not just for college but for primary and secondary education. As you know, we've got a labor shortage in this country. We've got a training acad- epidemic in this country, allowing families to use money for diverse education needs is certainly a way to help the average American family in this country. And, you know, you don't hear a lot about the ways that this tax code helped that average American family because we have to remember Democrats did not vote for this tax bill. Not a single Democrat could say, yes, I want to cut rates for the every American. And I want to cut rates. Um, at every level of the uh, income tax code. I want to give a double child tax credit, uh, credit. I want to expand the eligibility for the child tax credit and the use of 529. Not a single Democrat could say that that was a good move for the American people. And I think that the American people will remember that, particularly today if they're like you, waiting in line to write a check to the government and not particularly pleased about it. The corporate tax cut was... How important and how effective, because what you hear, and I've been treated to a lot of this in the last few weeks on the set of Rising, where we have a bunch of uh, Democrat Marxists who come on to talk about how this was all just for the rich people. Uh, What do you say to those who, who claim that the corporate tax cut was just giving fat cats more cash and doesn't help average Americans? 
I find this argument to be so interesting because you can't look uh, at around any corner without economic data that just proves it. Now, the president was very clear when the tax bill was being negotiated. He had two major objectives with getting it done. One was delivering a middle class tax cut. The other was making the United States competitive again. We had the highest corporate tax rate in the developed world, and we were trying to compete with countries that had cut their corporate tax rates so much that they were 10 percentage points below where the American uh, rate was. Not only that, American companies were penalized whenever they earned money overseas and tried to bring it back because we were one of the only countries where we forced companies to pay taxes twice on those profits. Tax Cut and Jobs Act got rid of that. It created a more competitive environment by lowering that corporate tax rate to 21%. And the result of that is what we hear about every month when we're talking about jobs numbers and the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, releases their report the first Friday of every month. In 2018, for the first time in 10 years, the average American worker finally started to see a pay increase. And that's because when you reduce those barriers on corporate profits, corporations then can take that money and invest it back into their companies as a means of making their workers more productive. When workers are more productive, they are allowed to demand more labor, more value for their labor, and they are paid more. So that's why you're seeing wages rise now, and that's why you had not seen wages rise even though the economy had started to expand uh, beginning, you know, 10 years ago, this was a very peculiar expansion and recovery because workers did not see their wages rise at all because we still had that corporate tax rate that created so much obstruction to growth that workers couldn't get their piece of the pie. And not for nothing, Buck, the people who are benefiting the most are the bottom 10% of those workers. They are the ones who are seeing their wages rise faster than any other cohort who's, uh, in, in, that, in that economic picture. Their wages are rising faster than they have since 2000. That's almost a 20-year gap before we've seen that kind of rate of increase. So for the people who are coming on rising, who are telling you that it's only the fat cats on Wall Street who are getting rich, they are not paying attention to the economic data. They are not paying attention to the average American and their story that's being told across this country. And they better wake up because they keep ignoring that. What they're going to do is they're going to fuel another, uh, another, I think, uh, embrace of a Trump presidency. Whatever happened to real tax simplification? Uh, Why is it that the tax code is still over 70,000 pages. Ted Cruz was campaigning on doing your taxes on a postage card or postage, whatever you call it, a, a, a what do you postcard. send people with the postcard? Yes, thank you. A postcard. <laughs> English, not really my first language, apparently. On a postcard, um, Trump said simplification was going to happen. Um, I understand that there's been some collapsing of rates and such, but the tax code, as far as I understand it, is still tens of thousands of pages. Why, why can't we get a tax code that's like, Two pages, Maddie, or one. Right. It is It is still far too complex. There have been strides made in making it less complex. Um, on the individual side, you see that with now nine out of ten filers are just taking the standard deduction because the Tax Cut and Jobs Act doubled the standard deduction. So it made that the most lucrative tax break for uh, individual earners uh, to take. It, the National Taxpayers Union, where I'm a senior fellow, they release a report every year that talks about tax complexity and what the, what the burden is that it puts on the economy. And that tax burden was decreased by about 41 uh, million hours uh, as a result of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. There's still a lot of work to be done uh, on the side of the corporate tax rate and the business side of things. That still remains far too complex. If we can get rid of some of those complexities, that will uh, shave off the cost that it takes to administrate the tax burden and for companies to comply. And that will mean more money and more economic churn back to the private enterprise, which, of course, allows the United States to become and stay the most competitive economy in the world.
Maddie Duppler, you you do taxes like nobody else does taxes, Maddie. It's amazing. <laughs> That's a dubious distinction, Buck. But thanks for having me on. I I, I know you're you're super busy today. This woman she's got like fifty TV and radio hits over the course of Tax Day because. Everyone else is like, explain the taxes to me, Maddie. Maddie, thank you so much. So, forward <laughs> strategies, everybody. You can follow Maddie on Twitter as well. Doubles, you rock the Cosba. Thanks, Bag. All right, team. We'll be right back. My name is um, Carlos Gazatua. I'm the president for Sergio's Family Restaurants in Miami, Florida. I, our business has been in business for over 44 years. Um, I'm third generation running the business. It's a woman-based organization that started 1975, and now we currently have over 650 employees in just South Florida. I want to tell you that the tax cuts are working. Here's what we're doing. We're investing in equipment and technology. We've created jobs in our corporate infrastructure to create a franchise system and for our stores. And today, I am proud to announce with you that we'll be offering 401ks to all of our employees tomorrow. Real positive change for a business owner, for a job creator down in in Florida who's saying, look, tax cuts have been a godsend for us and for our business, for our workers, for our employees. Government's never going to make you rich. Government's never going to make you happy. The government's never going to make you safe. This is what Democrats don't understand. Government's not your friend. It's not there to hug you, keep you warm and safe at night. The government is there to protect our rights and to engage in activities that are clearly defined in the Constitution. That is it. So when these people who come from the left, and there are even some on the right as well, Suggests that you know it's it's the government's business to be creating jobs. The government should be the one that are the ones that are focused on this. Oh, if we want if we want jobs, what we need is an infrastructure bill. Yeah, that's what's going to do it. No, what we really want is to get the government out of the way of people that are creating jobs by providing goods and services that people want and want more of, and want increasingly efficient delivery of those things. At better prices. That's what people want. The tax cuts are always just just filled with uh, all these lies about what happened to them. I mean, the the way that people have in the media talked about this is completely dishonest. Um, it, it's really hard when, when you look at this to come away and not think, oh, so this was really a victory of fake news. I mean, this is... A, a thread from my friend uh, David Harsanyi, you know, who we have on this show on a, on a pretty regular basis. And he pulled together a whole bunch of different ways that Democrats were talking about the tax cuts. And what it shows you is that the tax cuts were just lied about so much that it worked. And people didn't take the time. They didn't. They didn't. You know, have uh, enough initiative on their own. So got other things to do to look into all this. But here you go. Um, the, this is a story. Metro.us GOP tax bill will kill ten thousand people a year, says economist Larry Summers. 
This is on thehill.com. Pelosi, GOP, GOP tax bill, the worst bill in the history of Congress. Um, uh, meet some of the victims of the Trump tax plan. This is a Yahoo Finance piece. Washington Post, it's not enough to give money to rich people. Apparently, Republicans want to kick the poor and middle class in the face, too. This is according to a supposedly serious economist at the Washington Post. Um, this is amazing. Opinion, a tax plan to turbocharge inequality in three charts. Tax cuts that mainly benefit the wealthy and spending cuts that mostly hit everyone else will only widen the gap. So, this is, oh, here we go. CNN, Trump's tax, uh, tax cuts are a bust. The ominous absurdity of Trump's tax cuts. Five false or misleading things Trump said in his speech about taxes. It's just, this is just all, it's all propaganda. I mean, I can go on and on and on. It's all propaganda. They say things like, oh, well, most of the benefits go to the rich. Not as a proportion of, of money and wealth, it doesn't. And, and here's what, what you end up finding out is that if you look at this tax, and we just talked to Matty Dupler, who's a true tax expert, he's a friend of mine. If you look at what happened here, everybody has more money. But the media's fake news was so successful in this process that here we are on tax day, and I am steamed about how much time and effort and money I had to give the government in order to comply with my taxes. I think more, more Americans should be upset about this. We shouldn't just, like a bunch of penned-in cows ready to be milked, accept that government has put us through all of this and takes as much from us as it does. But you still have most people thinking that they didn't get money that they got because they were lied to. This was a, an exercise in fake news by the media to undermine something that the Trump administration clearly did and accomplished, which was the tax cut. They said they would do it and they did it. There have been serious benefits from it, but they want to pretend that there's been nothing. In fact, it's bad for people. They've been led to believe it's bad for them. This is why you can't trust what these left-wing outlets say. And some of them, I read to you last week, I think it was the guy from Vox who was raising this as a, an issue to be proud of. See, we fooled them. We fooled enough of those dumb Americans into thinking that they don't have more money because of Trump's tax cut when they do. Ha, 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 we win. This is how the left thinks about this. Do they care that that means that people are you want to talk about undermining democracy? I mean, they're just spreading lies that people vote differently than they should based upon what is in their interest. It is in the interest of American households to have more money. They have more money now, but they don't think they have more money because the Democrats have been lying to them and saying, oh, look at how your refund is smaller. Don't even get me started about how the tax code is a, just a giant monument to corruption because it is. It is insider dealing and insider favors and the tax code is an abomination. But that's a conversation I guess we'll have to have another day. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. Well, that's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than well, progressive. Five. I'm a progressive. Yeah. However, I do reject socialism as a economic system. If people have that view, that's their view. That is not the view of the Democratic Party. Whoa, hold the phone. Stop the presses. 
The Democrats are not a socialist party? Wait, I, I, thought, I thought they were all on board for socialism. Now they're saying they're not? Oh, you mean... You mean that they like to talk this big game about how progressive they are, and then when it comes to explaining to the American people what that would mean, they get a little shy all of a sudden? Very interesting here. This is Pelosi, I think, refusing to accept the reality of what is happening in her party. I think she's, I think she's wrong. I think the Democratic Party is the party of socialism now. I think the far left does control the Democratic Party. I mean, she says that's like five people about AOC and Tlaib and uh, and these other very progressive left-wing Democrats. Well, where's the agenda going? What do you hear from Democrats? Do you hear Democrats talk about how they're going to fix problems? No, you hear them. And this is now mainstream talking points from Democrats, things like the Green New Deal, which is a, a, an environmental plan for people that are just nuts. For crazy people, the Green New Deal, you're going to rebuild every building to make it environmentally friendly in the country. This is normal people don't think this way. Rational individuals do not take this approach. It just simply does not make any sense. Here they are thinking somehow that it does. Um, The Green New Deal is one example of it. Just the the demonization of wealth. I mean, look at Bernie Sanders, you know. You know, millionaires and billionaires. I'm a millionaire, but I wrote a book, or at least people helped me write it. It was ghostwritten, and now I'm worth billions of dollars, or at least millions of dollars. I wish I was worth billions. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders is talking about all the rich people all the time. Notice how a lot of the richest people in the country are left-wing Democrats. But there's this, this uh, ideological identification that the left has with the poor and the downtrodden, even if it doesn't manifest itself in any meaningful way, right? The Democrats like to think of themselves as the party of the poor. Um, Meanwhile, the elites in this country are overwhelmingly Democrats. I mean, the true coastal enclaves of snobbery and hyper wealth are full of Democrats. They're not full of Republicans. I tend to see in my own life that Republicans are people who have had to make it on their own and are making it on their own and have had to work really, really hard Democrats are people who either got lucky, got it handed to them, or are bitter about the fact that they have the money that they do, which is a strange but real phenomenon. People feel guilty about the success they've had. But demonizing success is part of what Democrats do. I mean, the, the notion, I know we're, we talked a bit about taxes today, uh, this, this notion that you have people who make $250,000 a year should be paying the same tax rate as somebody who makes $10 million a year. How is that rooted in any fairness, if we're going to use the F word there? How is that rooted in any fairness? But for, for the Democrats, it's all, about, it's all about how it sounds and how it feels. That's, what the, that's, that's how they're making these decisions. That's what's pushing policy forward for them. You know, how, does it, how does it make you feel? That thing that you're saying, how does it, how does it make you... Uh, you know, you, how does it make you think about these things um, or think about yourself when it comes to these matters? Pelosi can downplay the far left in her party as much as she wants, but she knows the power is shifting and has shifted toward them. The Democrats are now a far left party. And they're socialists in all but name. And that is why. When you have AOC saying that she thinks that Trump should be impeached, I I think the Democrats are going to have a very hard time not 
impeaching this president, even if it would be, and I believe it would be politically a bad idea for them, but I think that they have to feed this to their rabid left-wing base. I don't see a way around it. Their base will not accept a more measured approach. Their base will not accept that there could be another way. Play 13. This is largely a part, uh, largely a question for our leadership. I think it's this is a very grave problem, but there are so many aspects to this presidency that have that have posed a grave problem. Is it impeachable in your view? I, I think you could reach in a bag and pull so many things out that are impeachable of this president. I support impeaching this president. Oh, that's the new that's the new approach on the left. There's so much that you could impeach this president for that you can't even settle on one. Give me one. Whoa, whoa, I can't because there's so much. <laughs> oh, okay. That's an interesting way to approach this, isn't it? You know, it's so obvious he should be impeached that you can't think of a single reason to impeach him because there are endless reasons to impeach him. It almost sounds like they would impeach him just because they don't like him, doesn't it? Maybe that's what we're really getting at here. Maybe, maybe that's what is exposed in this whole process, that it has nothing to do with any specific violations of law or even presidential ethics. It's just they hate the president. They absolutely hate him. You know, I, I never hated Obama. And I, I know that maybe it's easy to say that now for people, but I didn't. I didn't hate Obama. I didn't hate I didn't hate Obama's family, which I think is really weird when people because a lot of Democrats hate Trump's family. They'll say terrible things about Melania and Barron, and I never did that. I I, I didn't feel the need to to trash the man's family just because I disagree with them. I hated Obama's policies. I didn't like what he stood for ideologically. I didn't like his decision making as commander in chief. It wasn't about hating Obama. It's a big difference with what you see in the anti-Trump resistance. They actually hate Trump. They hate him. They take a, a certain self-satisfaction and joy from the hatred of this man and his family and those around him and those who support him, which includes you and me. There's a disdain that they cannot hide, a disdain that that grows over time. And AOC uh, feels this disdain, not just for Trump, but even for those who are associated with Trump in her mind and in the left's mind in this country, like newly reelected uh, Netanyahu in Israel. Play 14. I think these are part of conversations that we're having in our caucus, but um, I, I, I think what we're really seeing is the ascent of authoritarianism across the world. I think that Netanyahu is a Trump-like figure. Would you be in favor of reducing military or economic aid to Israel? I mean, I think it's on the table. I think it's certainly on the table, and I think it's something that, that can be discussed. Netanyahu is, in a, is a Trump-like figure. Does that, that speaks so well for Trump in so many ways, isn't it? Uh, because the Israeli people, the left wing in Israel on security was wrong. That's what ended up happening. They were wrong. And the Israeli people eventually decided that they weren't going to listen to those who blamed Israel first when it came to suicide bombers or the Palestinian problem of terrorism. And in this country with Trump, we have a similar phenomenon. At some point, we get tired of the lies and the nonsense. 
And that's what has led to the rise of Trump. The, the political class in this country has betrayed the American people, lied to the American people far too many times. So if, if Trump is like Netanyahu and Netanyahu is like Trump, good for them. Of course, the left just views them both through the same prism, which is one of disdain and hatred. And they can't help themselves no matter what Pelosi says. Criminal prosecution for keeping assault weapons. What's the punishment for people who don't hand in their guns? Do they go to jail? Well, Jake, uh, they would, but I also offer an alternative, which would be to keep them at a hunting club or a shooting range. Uh, these weapons are so devastating. I've seen this as a prosecutor uh, in the cases that I've prosecuted. We've seen these in the school shootings from Sandy Hook to Parkland. And it's not just the violence that they've caused. It's the fear, the immeasurable fear that our children live in because they are still on our streets. I want to get rid of that fear. I want to do what Australia did and New Zealand just recently did. I think this issue just needs some bold leadership to do it. It's not the violence, Swalwell says. It's the fear. He kind of gave up the game there, folks. Here you have one of the roughly 20 Democrats who are either expected to run or running already for the Democratic presidential nomination. Uh, Swalwell, who uh, covered himself in, 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 in absolute garbage, for two years as one of the primary voices on Russia Trump collusion. I mean, he was he was out there saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Now he's building his presidential run around many things, I guess, but the primary one he's known for is that he opposes the Second Amendment. He wants to take all assault weapons from you. Now, some of you are probably already saying, Buck, assault weapons aren't really a thing. I know, but that's what he's calling them. He wants to take all semi-automatic rifles with cosmetic features that he finds scary. Because remember, it's, it's not the violence, it's the fear. That's what he said. The fear that our kids have. Who stokes that fear? Who's responsible for creating the perception across the country that kids should be scared in schools? Children are actually safer in school now than they were 20 years ago. Numbers don't lie. But who creates this perception? Oh, that's right. The media does. So the media tells us all to be very, very, very afraid that our children are all at risk. They don't want to have armed resource officers or people that might be able to do something on the, on the uh, school grounds. Or, or at least they scoff at that, which would be a, a more serious proposal. Keep in mind, those school resource officers are not just there to stop school shootings in the sense that there could be a mass shooting. They're there in case there are other emergencies on the campus. They're there in case there's a fight that turns, you know, particularly violent. You know, you might want to have somebody there. If two kids pull out switchblades, you probably want an armed resource officer on the school grounds. But they don't like that idea because it feeds into the good guy with a gun stops bad guy with a gun narrative. That's not the narrative they want to tell. The narrative Swalwell wants to tell is that People with assault weapons, I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, this is what he calls it, right? People with semi-automatic rifles um, are posing this big danger to society. And people that have these, particularly they're going to go after the AR-15 and things like it. That's what they really want. That's the most common semi-automatic rifle in circulation right now that they want to ban under assault, assault weapon guidelines. And they want to get rid of them because Swalwell says that that's 
a danger to society. Now, I would have to point to point out to him that handguns are far more dangerous in terms of the lethality. Handguns are what really kills people in this country. It's 90 percent plus. I think it's 90 might even be more like 97 percent plus of the homicides that occur with a firearm are are with a handgun. Might even be 99 percent. Nothing. I mean, it's just almost all of it. You have uh, roughly a uh, hundred people, thousands and thousands of people a year are shot in this country. And you get roughly a hundred people a year are killed by rifles. And I think that includes suicides by rifle and, and a long gun shotgun, but it might not include that. It might just be those that are shot with those weapons. Yeah. Per, cut the suicides out. I think that's not a, that's not on that statistic, but it's less than a hundred a year are killed by rifles or shotguns. Very few people are murdered with rifles or shotguns. But once every year or two, there is an incident where someone takes a semi-automatic rifle and for the purposes of mass carnage, just goes around shooting as many people as they can. But as we all know from the Fort Hood shooter, Nidal Hassan, two handguns. I might have been carrying three, but he used two simultaneously. Uh, The Virginia Tech shooter used a a handgun and and I believe a, uh, a Tech 9 and but you know did not have long guns did not have a rifle of any kind so people can engage in mass shootings and kill a whole lot of people without a rifle um, and in fact i think some of you would argue or you could argue that a person who goes into a room with you know with two pistols with extended clips could do every bit as much damage as somebody who goes in there with an ar but violence isn't really the issue as swalwell says Fear is the issue. So they create the fear and then they suggest the way to solve the problem is to ban ownership of these weapons and not just ban the the new purchase of it, but to send people to prison if they won't give up their weapons. Now, that's what you have to remember with the gun grabbers is that ultimately they're not just about opposing violence. They're about incarcerating you for wanting to enjoy your Second Amendment rights. They want to take away your freedom, ruin you, perhaps ruin your life because you own a semi-automatic rifle that you legally purchased and that you are entitled to under the Second Amendment. There are people like Eric Swalwell who are Democrats who are on the left who think that you should be, oh, that's right, separated from your family. That's the family separation that doesn't bother them, apparently. Only the family separation of illegals who are scamming our system at the border. That really worries liberals. You being separated from your family because you don't want to hand over your lawfully obtained semi-automatic rifle, they're not going to lose any sleep over that. You go to prison, no big deal. And you see this with the way gun laws are enforced in many of these blue states where even very minor or understandable good faith errors are punished severely. And those of you who say, Buck, there's no such thing, you have to know the laws. It's actually not true. There are good faith errors that can occur. Otherwise, explain to me what somebody whose air whose uh, flight is diverted to New York and then they have to get on a different flight the next day because of weather they have to recheck their handgun and are arrested arrested for checking in the handgun that they were legally transporting not carrying but transporting on an, on an airplane because of weather they get pushed in New York City they got to then you know stay in a hotel for the night they get their firearm in their luggage and then when they go to recheck their luggage New York says well you don't have a permit for this you're going to prison yeah, that's that's I wouldn't even say that's a good faith error on the part of the gun owner. That's just that's just completely wrong. 
what they do to that person. They have no choice. This would be like the government saying, well, we're going to pick you up in one state and drive you across state lines to where your gun is illegal. You know, stinks for you. We're going to make you do that. And then we're going to arrest you for it. Well, but that's not that's not fair, is it? They don't care about fair. It's not about the stopping of violence, folks. It's about the fear. Remember what he said. It's about the fear. They create the fear. They manipulate it. They expand upon it. Just one more note here on Swalwell, who is just a deeply unimpressive character. That he thinks letting individuals keep their rifle at a range would stop would stop all mass shootings. Uh, somebody will just take the rifle from that range. This, I mean, it, it's such a, a ridiculous idea. It's such a ridiculous compromise to have in the first place. You have so many millions of these guns already in circulation. All you need is one, one rifle in the hands of a bad guy can kill dozens of people and has many times in the past. So unless you get every single one of them out of circulation, there's always the chance that someone's going to misuse one. But he thinks that this is the way that we're going to go forward with this. It just makes no sense at all. It just makes no sense at all. But he's not trying to make sense. He's just trying to placate the left and their insanity on guns. Whenever you turn over a rock, you tend to find some slimy Democrat character assassination outfit underneath it these days. It's just amazing how much this keeps happening over and over again. I haven't covered this yet on the show, but Justice Brett Kavanaugh has gotten all kinds of uh, negative attention from groups recently that say that he should not be allowed to teach a, a university course through George Mason University, a summer teaching job. They want him f uh, fired from a summer teaching job at George Mason University. Students uh, for Mason for Survivors is the student group that has been saying this has to happen. Now, th this is wrong on so many levels. First of all, if you still believe that Brett Kavanaugh is a, a sexual predator who was part of this high school gang rape crew, you're a moron. You're actually a moron. If, if at this point you still believe that, you are not an intelligent human being. You do not have a, a, a particularly astute or capable brain. Only an idiot would still believe this. Okay, only somebody or, or, or someone who is delusional, right? So it's not that they don't have a fast firing mind, but their mind does not have the judgment that comes from being rooted in reality. So you have to be either stupid or delusional to think that Brett Kavanaugh is a was a secret rapist all those years. And I mean, the women who came out against him, it was all such an obvious political hit. The third woman was clearly a liar. The second woman was also a liar. And the first woman, the more you thought about it, yeah, she was a liar too. But this group that's supposed to be student activists trying to stop Brett Kavanaugh from getting his teaching job uh, for the summer through George Mason University, turns out that Demand Justice, which is a liberal advocacy group that Hillary Clinton's 2016 press secretary, Brian Fallon, runs is behind the Facebook ad campaign 
that is going uh, that is specifically going to students at George Mason University and they want students to sign a change.org petition to get Kavanaugh fired. This is what libs do. You'll notice conservatives don't rush to get people fired all the time. We, we don't always threaten boycotts. We don't go through life like a bunch of spoiled crybabies who don't know how to operate, who don't know how to function in a world where they don't always get their way. Liberals just can't handle things. Or they're so lacking in honor and integrity that they think any political dispute with somebody is licensed to ruin their life, to ruin their future. Anytime a liberal disagrees with somebody now, if they're important enough, they take it upon themselves to try to get them fired, to try to wage individual economic warfare against people. They're doing it right now against Kirsten Nielsen. They do not want Kirsten Nielsen to be able to get a job now that she has left the Trump administration. They've been very open about this. There are activist groups that are sending letters to corporations and CEOs all over the country saying, do not hire Kirsten Nielsen. When you have a sitting Supreme Court justice who was, remember, at the absolute peak of the legal profession before he became a Supreme Court justice, impeccable credentials, unbelievable background in terms of the kinds of cases he had worked on as an appellate judge and D.C. Circuit. I mean, this guy was in every respect the gold standard in the legal profession. My friends who were super lawyer nerds were like Kavanaugh from a resume perspective is unbeatable, unbeatable. And also from a character perspective, when you take into account what he's really like and what people who have worked with him say, not some smear campaign by left wing activists who just cry a lot. And yet they a former Hillary spokesman. Someone with close ties to Hillary Clinton is running this campaign to ruin Kavanaugh by getting people on college on this college campus on George Mason University to say that he should be fired from a job that, that he was offered. I mean, these these leftists are morons. They really are. You know, Justice Scalia came to speak at Amherst and the entire political science department, except for my advisor. Bless Professor Arkey's boycott the speech. Students refused to go, dressed in all black, wore black armbands, turned their backs to him. I wanted to let them know we were lucky at our little 1,600-person school to have a sitting Supreme Court justice come and talk to us, stand up in our chapel and try to enlighten us a little bit about what really happens, what's really going on in jurisprudence. We were lucky. Anyone at George Mason University who would be able to study with Kavanaugh is lucky. But instead, you have these leftists who are just complete and utter loons and crybabies. And it's wrong. And it's vindictive. And we need to start fighting back against this. We need to start saying enough is enough. These leftists can't run around like little petty terrorists because that's what they are. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. 
call, everybody. It's time for the roll call. That's right. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want in on the roll call, let's get to it. Thanks. This is Brian. Thanks for going to bat to get some great questions to Job Creator Network CEO on Rising This Morning. You pushed all the right tax points. I appreciated Alfredo's honest answers. You and Crystal are continuing to do a great job on that show. I'm sure it can be trying at times with some of those far left guests, but the pros far outweigh the cons. One being you get to talk to and hopefully influence powerful people on both sides of the aisle with new perspectives while keeping you on uh, fresh on daily happenings. Keep up the great work, Brian. Well, Brian, that's like the nicest thing anyone's written about rising. So really do appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoy the show. It is an exercise in patience sometimes. Um, my my co-host is, is, is a lovely person and we get along famously. Uh, but just having a left-right conversation, especially with the guests, can be a challenge, can be very, very uh, difficult. Um, so let's see what we get uh, going on in the future there. James writes, Buck, I listen to your Friday podcast. I want to echo the comment about the podcast ads. I also hear them. They're not in line with the Freedom Hut. I believe it is from your podcast host. I do not know who it is. I listen to you via Amazon Echo. It just pulls the cast from the cloud somewhere. I figure you may as well let the NSA hear you as well. Shields high. Yeah, James, we're going to have to see what the hosting. We're working on this one. I've had a lot of people say it. I don't know how much control we have over the podcast ads. It might be what's called programmatic, where there's kind of a pre-selected run of ads that they do. And this then gets beyond my pay grade because it turns into revenue generation for the show. So if you want those ads to go away, just keep keep buying Black Rifle Coffee and, and donate some money to the Leadership Institute and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that'll help us get rid of the podcast ads faster. Dwayne writes, was the electronic spying on Trump campaign court ordered, as Comey says, or court approved? Seems two different things. Doubt the courts called up Comey and ordered him to spy on the campaign. You know, Dwayne, I, I, I appreciate the distinction that you're making there. I think it's a meaningful one uh, because in the context of FISA, this isn't there's no opposition. You know, in a normal court of law, when you go before a judge granted for, you know, a search warrant and certain things, the judge just have to, has to sign off on it. But in this case, it's all done in secret and the judge just signs off on it. Right. There's there's a. Uh, a, a rubber stamping that this process seems to have been uh, become that I, I think is, is definitely problematic. Um, so we'll have to see, my friend. Uh, but yes, it was really court approved, as in the court in this instance. And this may be a problem with other uh, with other instances, uh, other law enforcement requests as well. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, but the judge shouldn't just say, oh, you want to listen in on a presidential campaign? Sure. Go for it. Richard, it's Buck. Happy Hoosier hellos. Talking to your big brother while I was listening to your podcast. And you mentioned the Panopticon. I went to read more and guess what came up after? I've never looked up that work in my life. This stuff is, is creepy. On a total side note, the prison in Guardian of the Ga Guardians of the Galaxy was a Panopticon. Shields and mixtapes. Hi, Richard. Yeah, Richard. You always bring insight to the show with your notes, my friend. I do, do appreciate it. Uh, Daniel, can you tell me more about yourself? My name is Daniel. I recently moved to Colorado. Um, I can tell you this. Colorado would be every bit as progressive and liberal left as California. 
If it were a border state and if more people lived here, in some ways it is worse. The red flag bill is one example. Well, Daniel, if you want to know more about me, you just got to keep listening to the show because I do talk on this radio show for three hours at a time. And it's a, the, probably the best single way out there to get to know me. Um, I, I, people who know me in real life kind of laugh sometimes because I, I do like to listen a lot. I, I'm not as talkative in person as I am on radio. It's probably because I have to speak so much for my job. Um, but that would be my recommendation. Just listen to this show and tell people about this show. As for Colorado, I know that it's become a more purple state. There are progressive outposts in it, but there are also very conservative parts of Colorado. That's true of many states, you know, even a state like Pennsylvania, for example. And you know, we're on a wonderful station affiliate out in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, but if you go to Philly, obviously, I mean, Philly is blue, blue, blue. Pittsburgh, very blue. Uh, but other parts of the state of Pennsylvania, they still respect the Second Amendment and the Constitution and take a much more conservative view of things. Um, Phil writes, hey, Buck, hope all's well in the Freedom Hut. I was wondering if you'd have on Scott Horton. He is without a doubt a foreign policy guru on everyone, uh, on everything, rather. Um, all right. Uh, and also, P.S. Love the beard. Thank you, Phil. The beard seems to be getting more thumbs up than thumbs down, I gotta say. Some folks seem to be more pro-beard than you might have uh, anticipated, than I would have anticipated. So, yes, indeed. Laurel writes, Buck, I'm a podcast listener, so I'm usually a day or so behind. Listening to Friday's show and your monologue on control of the language. Did you notice that in the indictment of Julian Assange, they refer to Chelsea Manning as she? Interesting how we are discussing words like illegal immigrants being the technical codified terminology for those who are unlawfully in the country. But those responsible for writing indictments for crimes are including factually incorrect information about co-conspirators and witnesses. Speaking of Assange, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. I feel it's a gray area that if prosecuted and found guilty could be used in the future as case law to go after mainstream media journalists who publish leaked material. Can you share or reshare your thoughts? Uh, Laurel, you, you make, well, you make an excellent point and raise an excellent question. As for the terminology, I did notice this too, that it is, and it is true across, I believe now, all of the news networks. I believe all of them. I, I could be wrong on that, but use the term in their news broadcasts, at least, not necessarily in their commentary, uh, that, Chelsea Manning is a she. Uh, that is a factually incorrect statement. And if we're going to start making factually incorrect statements because some people think it is a nicer thing to do, then I would at least want everyone to agree that that is what is being done. Because uh, I, I do not want to be part of a delusion. Chelsea Manning is not a female. Chelsea Manning is male. If you ask me, is Chelsea Manning male or female? The answer that I will give is that Chelsea Manning is male because that is reality. This is not a, a this is not a mutable characteristic. This is not something that changes because people would like it to change. No, I'm sorry. Uh, there are lines here. And I, I did notice it, Laurel. You have a keen eye on the usage of she instead of he to describe Bradley. Uh, I'm sorry. I did not mean to dead name there, as they say. Chelsea Manning in the uh, the documents. Also, just the, the the notion that what just happened for me where I, I just mixed up the names for a second. Now, they may, they may claim that dead naming is only purposeful, 
But this is not some horrible crime to refer to somebody as their previous name. You know, my first name is James. If someone refers to me as James, they're not doing something nasty and terrible. They're just referring to my first name, which is my legal name. So, you know, I know that I, I have not had a transgender surgery or anything. So maybe there's a different there's a different focus on the usage of, of a name in that regard. But I think you see what I'm saying. Jimmy, you know, I get all these the podcast listeners. I'm just telling you, live radio audience. Across the country, 125 or so stations. All the podcast folks are writing in in droves. Where's my live radio peeps? You guys don't have Facebook? Come on now. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I know you're at a computer on a smartphone a lot of the time, so it's not hard. Tell the team what you think about things. Jimmy writes, love your podcast, Buck. Great to listen to a voice of reason that is from a conservative point of view. Just listened to your coverage of the movie Unplanned. Wanted to thank you for that. Heartbreaking. Shields high, my friend. Keep up the great work. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your note. I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, and yeah, I, I plan to see the movie Unplanned as soon as I can. I, I don't even know if it is in the D.C. market right now. I, I, I have to check. I, I would guess that it is not playing at any of the theaters near me, which I think tells you a lot. Rich. Kind of buck binging today. Enjoyed the Behar imitation. Can we get Clapper McCabe struck and Comey in a room and listen in? Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed Joy Behar. You know, she's on the show talking about how, you know, oh, I have to listen to Megan McCain and it just hurts my ears. Almost like when I have to read words and it hurts my eyes. Yeah, Behar. Multi-millionaire TV personality Joy Behar, everybody. Any, anybody can be a success in America. That much I can tell you. Jennifer writes, good evening. Love you. Love the show. I'm in charge of brunch on Sunday. Eggs with or without creme fraiche. Jennifer, love you too. And the answer to your question is, if you have creme fraiche on hand, work it into your scrambled eggs. It adds a little something special, a little extra panache, pizzazz, a little je ne sais quoi into your scrambled eggs. Now that we've gone through that, my friends, I can bid you adieu for the night. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.